0: A reading from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the
1: hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be- Luke chapter 10 verse 25. came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
0: Uh, Father in heaven, we were uh, just a few minutes ago uh, singing about the deep, deep love of Jesus. Uh, and uh, one of the wonderful things about that song is, is even the way the notes are expressed and the way the words are arranged, it, it's trying to impart um, what, it, what it tastes like to know your love, to know the love of Jesus, to, to so to speak, revel in the love of Jesus. Um, and then we sang, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So um, our prayer is that we would, in fact, taste and see. And even right now, um, as we um, come to your word, and, and we ask that you would uh, um, sharpen our thinking, help us not to believe stupid things, or he- don't let me say stupid things, but above all, will you grant us, as we think clearly, rigorously, that you will also grant us to taste and see that the Lord Jesus is good. I pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful, please, if you would turn back to page 8, that shorter reading uh, from Second Timothy. That's uh, where we're going to uh, park today. We're continuing a series looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy, and one of the questions as we look through this book that we're asking this summer uh, is this question, and it's um, how can we here at Emmanuel Church, how can we be a church with lasting impact, long-term impact for Jesus Christ? Uh, and let me try to illustrate what I mean. I, I was recently in the last few weeks this summer, um, I've had the opportunity to visit two churches that um, have influenced me quite a lot in the in the past. And in both cases, I find myself with friends kind of um, talking, discussing what were the good things about this church that we were a part of sometimes twenty years ago. Uh, what was the lasting impact? And inevitably, there were as we discuss these things, there are, there are things that we kind of chuckle at and we're like, man, that was weird. Um, and then there's other things that we, that we look back on and we just really deeply appreciate and so forth. And as, I, as I've had that experience this summer, and as I've been reading 2 Timothy, I've, I, I've been asking that question about us. Um, if you could imagine 20 years in the future, you and your friends um, get together uh, with maybe some other people that we don't know yet that have joined uh, Emmanuel Church. You get together, and you sit down, and you start talking and reminiscing about what it was like to be part of this church, and you ask each other, what, what, what impact did Emmanuel have on your life and everybody's a little bit older if you imagine the scene everybody's older the kids are grown you know um your careers are different than what you anticipated they would be all the all of those sorts of things but but when i imagine what i hope those conversations include i i imagine something like this and this is a little self-indulgent but just go with me I, I imagine somebody, I hope, somebody will, will pipe up and say, you know what, Emmanuel, um, Emmanuel, you know, Emmanuel wasn't perfect. Emmanuel had good things, bad things. Some of the people were weird, let's face it. Um, especially the pastor. What was his name? The guy with the funny shirt, that whole thing. But, but then, I, I, what I hope that they'll say is, but the main thing about Emmanuel is that they just loved Jesus. And they helped me love Jesus. They just thought Jesus was fantastic, and they were always trying to talk about Jesus. They sang about Jesus. They read about Jesus. They discussed Jesus. They described Jesus. In fact, they called it describing the beauty of Jesus Christ, and they were just doing it all the time. And then what I hope is somebody else in the conversation pipes up, the second person, and says, that's right. And you know what I noticed it? I noticed it most when I watched different members of Emmanuel go through difficult times i am noticed it most i imagine this person saying when they suffered i sort of hope this is going to be weird i sort of hope that they say something like when members of emmanuel went through particularly difficult times that was their best time because those were the times when they described how the beauty of jesus christ really got in on their lives and when they after they went through difficult times they described to me that Jesus was beautiful and faithful and good in the midst of it, and that's when it clicked for me. That's when I realized this thing must be real. And then I hope a third person pipes up and says, that's right, except for me it took a while. For me, I had to watch them follow Jesus and describe Jesus for the long haul. But the longer I watched them describe the beauty of Jesus Christ, it took a while, but I began to see that, let's face it, Emmanuel was never very cool, but they also didn't need to spin. They just didn't need to because they were so confident that Jesus was beautiful and compelling that they could just hold up Jesus to each other week in and week out, day in and day out, and to people who weren't part of their community. They held up Jesus accurately for the long haul, and over time I saw it too. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is on the one hand, I just hope that that's the kind of conversations that we're having in 20 years. But some of it also mostly comes from reading this text this week. This text calls us to be a culture that describes the beauty of Jesus Christ to each other, to the city, and to the next generation. And that's what I want to show you. That's how we will have a long-term impact. Let's get into it. Look at verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus that's going to be crucially important at the end and what you have heard in the presence of many witnesses entrust also to faithful men or women who will be able to teach others also okay um pause there let me fill in some context um the apostle paul is writing this it's a letter this is just an excerpt of a letter written to timothy Paul, the writer, is in Rome, and he is in prison, and he's waiting to be killed by Nero. So that's not going very well. But it's even worse than that, because he's heard news from Asia. In the Bible, when it says Asia, it means what we call modern-day Turkey. He's heard news from modern-day Turkey, from that area, that the Christian movement in that province seems to be falling apart. Everything seems to be falling apart. Uh, Just before this paragraph, Paul says that nearly all the Christians in Asia have distanced themselves from Paul because they don't like the fact that he's suffering, and some of them have completely fallen, fallen away from following Jesus at all. Christianity in Asia seems to be falling apart. And just let that sink in for a minute, because this is... About 35, 37 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And over those 35, 37 years, something like that, Christianity had just grown immensely. It had it spanned one side of the empire to the other side of the empire. However, by this point, things had really heated up. Opposition. Opposition. And it appears that a bunch of these new Christians were looking around, and some of them appeared to start thinking something like this. Um, Christianity was great. It, it was brilliant 30 years ago. It's perfect for 30 years ago. But things have changed. Everything's changed. And it's out of date. And we need to move on. And if we don't, then everybody's going to hate us just the way they hate Paul. And look, Paul's on death row. Peter's about ready to die. All the old guard is dying off. If we stay on that team, that's what will happen to us. Christianity must change or die. And when you consider the fact that this is during Nero's reign, or very close to it, uh, who was notorious in his cruelty, I mean, they kind of have a point. The Christian movement, in Asia at least, seemed to be falling apart. And Paul knows about all of this. And so he picks up a pen, and he writes to uh, Timothy. Now, Timothy was uh, one of the last holdouts in Asia. So he was ministering in Ephesus, which is part of modern-day Turkey. The problem was, however, that Timothy was young. He appears to be frightened. And he appears to be feeling the bite of being part of a hated minority in a big empire. And he, feels, he seems to be feeling the bite of, uh, of losing his friends. So what's he going to do? Now, if I were in that situation, I can imagine myself at least immediately being tempted by to do two things. One, just to try to reinvent or modify the message of Christianity. Let's make this more palatable. Let's present it. Uh, market it just a little bit and make it more palatable to the people who are presently hating us. Or I'd be tempted just to, Shut my mouth, keep my head down, and wait it out. And just have as low profile as I can. But look back at the text. Because the Apostle Paul, on death row, tells Timothy, under great pressure, to do almost exactly the opposite of that. He says, Timothy, in so many words, it may appear that Christianity is falling apart, in decline. But that's a distraction. Timothy, Jesus' grace is strong enough to deal with it. So let me tell you your job, Timothy, says Paul. Your job is to keep your eyes fixed upon the grace of Christ. It's as if Paul says, Timothy, do you remember how I told you about Jesus' grace? Do you remember, Timothy, how I told you and all your friends? Do you remember those conversations that we had? Do you remember Jesus' grace and his kindness? Do you remember his beauty? Do you remember how, as Jesus became more clear, you began to lean in and you saw in Christ a beauty that transcended any other beauty you had ever seen before? Timothy, keep your eyes there. And then, Timothy... Pass that same vision of Christ's beauty and grace. Pass that on to the people around you. Don't talk less, talk more. And then tell them to do the same and tell them to pass it on to the next generation. That was Paul's plan for long-term impact as he sat in death row. Now let's look at it more closely. Look at those verses again. Do you notice that there are at least four generations mentioned there. You have Paul, who described the grace of Jesus Christ, or we might say described the beauty of Jesus Christ, to Timothy, second generation. And then Timothy was supposed to entrust all of that to a third generation, faithful people, leaders in his congregation. And then fourthly, those leaders were then to pass it on to the next generation that certainly Paul would never meet, and possibly Timothy wouldn't. Despite the fact that Christianity appeared in that moment to be declining, that plan that you're reading about there led to exponential growth over the the following centuries. And it's continued right down to this moment. Um, This explains why it is that we're here right now. Every single generation for the last 2,000 years, there have been Christian leaders who have taught people about Jesus and his grace and his beauty. And then those people, with their hearts captivated by the beauty of Christ, have then in turn described Jesus' beauty to other people, his grace to other people, who then teach others. And down the generations it has come. And that is why we're here right now. In the moment, it looked like Christianity was about ready to be snuffed out. Over time, it was just getting going. And it was this transmission of one disciple to another describing jesus's grace that's how it happened now let's bring that to us because here at emmanuel this can be our only plan for long-term impact this is it right there and more specifically this reading calls us to cultivate among us a culture that describes Jesus' beauty, every one of us, to each other, to our city, to the next generation. And every single thing we do as a church should be, in one way or another, aimed at that. Uh, let, let me give you just a, a few illustrations. Why is it that week by week we preach from the Bible? It's this. One of the things we absolutely do not want to do is to be merely a church where we come and we just share our opinions about things. I mean, we do. You know, we're going to have potluck later on, and everybody's going to share your opinions about things, and that's fine. But it's not the main thing we want to do, and it's certainly not what we want to do when we gather together to worship the Lord. You should not care very much what Jim thinks about things. What we want to do is we want to take what it is that Jesus taught Paul and what it is that Paul taught Timothy, and what it was that Timothy taught those whom he taught, and down the line it went, we want to take that body of truth and pass it on faithfully to each other and to this city. Which is another way of saying that the message of Jesus Christ is the only gift we have to give. That's it. And we find that message in the Bible. And that's why we love it so much. But it's not just that. We also meet in home groups. What are you doing in home groups? When you meet in home groups, it's not just to um, uh, look at the text together and kind of uh, share your opinions or, 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 or just kind of uh, uh, share what you feel God is doing in you. That's a good thing to do. Do it. But we want to be a people who are intentionally describing the beauty of Jesus Christ to each other so that you can bless other people. You come to home group not just to receive. You come to give away or when we sing? What were we doing a few minutes ago? We were describing the beauty of Jesus Christ in poetry and song to each other because the beauty of Jesus Christ is such that it can only be contained in beauty and poem and song and art. It takes it to describe Jesus accurately. Everything we do is aimed at describing the beauty of Jesus Christ. And the plan is that all of us, each one of us, individually and together, would see the beauty of Jesus Christ so clearly that then we would be able to describe it accurately so that we become a culture of Jesus describers. And so what I want to ask you is, where are you at with that? Is that a task, a mission that you own and treasure and love? And if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, and you're just thinking about whether or not this might be a good idea or a bad idea, do you hear us describing Jesus' beauty to you, his grace, his glory? Because if you don't, tell us. And if you do, that's the only gift we have to give you. All right, so how do we do it well? Three ways we do it well in this text. There's three images. We need to be soldiers, athletes, farmers. First of all, soldiers, take a look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay, suffering. See that word? Uh, suffering's awful. Very often, uh, Christians get deeply surprised by pain, suffering in life, because you think, well, I follow Jesus, isn't it supposed to, everything's going to work out, right? No. And when it doesn't work out, and when you go through times of terrible, terrible pain, you, you ask normal questions like, what did I do? What's God doing? Does it mean it's all false? Timothy was suffering. I expect that he was asking those same questions as well. But Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, you you need to think about it in a different image. Think about a soldier. Uh, Soldiers are not surprised when they go into battle and it's hard. In in fact, they know that it goes with their job. And because they know that it goes with their job, they anticipate it and they train for it and they persevere through it. That's just part of what it means. And the key, says Paul, to their endurance is that their eyes are continually focused on their mission. Now, bring that to us. Jesus wants us to be a culture who describes the beauty of Jesus Christ. Whenever you are describing the beauty of Jesus Christ, inevitably, for several reasons that I can't go into, inevitably, you will come up against particular suffering. Describe the beauty of Jesus Christ, and it may be that you suffer more than you might have otherwise done in certain ways. But there's a way in which, and this is where I need to be very, very careful, and if what I'm about ready to say causes difficulty, please will you challenge me about it later? Because I can't put all the qualifications in. But there's a way in which the suffering that we endure as Christians is part of it. It's part of what needs to happen. Why? When somebody walks through difficulty with Jesus Christ and finds Jesus faithful there, and then describes the beauty of Jesus Christ out of the difficulty, that carries a weight of reality and a weight of authority that you will never have otherwise. That is to say, going through times of trial causes us to be greater describers of Christ. Because you can talk about theory without suffering, and it carries very little weight. But when you meet Jesus in pain and find him beautiful, even in the midst of the ugliness of our world and its circumstances, then everything becomes real very quickly. And when you describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to someone else, they will listen in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. Mother Teresa's whisper carries more authority than a thousand shouts of theologians who are very comfortable. which is to say Jesus wants to use your pain to showcase his beauty, and that's part of its redemption. The key is keep your eyes focused on Christ in the midst of the valley. He will see you through. And the theme of the story that you will tell will eventually be, my heart was broken, and Jesus met me there. And I know him more than I would have otherwise done. And he was faithful to the end. We are to be soldiers. Secondly, we are to be athletes. Uh, verse 5. Uh, athletes not crowned means they don't get they don't win unless they compete according to the r- rules. Okay. Uh, slightly lighter vulnerable moment. Okay. Uh, I am an abomination of basketball. The the, the bad kind. Like, I am very bad at basketball. And there's three reasons I'm bad at basketball. Uh, first reason is basketball requires me to bounce a ball. I can't do that. The second reason is that basketball requires me to throw a ball through a, a circle. And I can't do that either. And the third reason is that basketball refuses to accommodate my inabilities. Um, and, and so the only way I'm ever going to play basketball and win, which will never happen, is if I conform to basketball. Basketball is never going to conform to me, right? Okay. Awkward transition. Same thing is true of describing Jesus' beauty well. Here's what I mean. Um, Jesus, We do not conform Jesus' message to us. Jesus conforms us to his message. Now, the other way to say that is that no one is authorized to modify the message of Jesus Christ. I'm not authorized to do that. Uh, The church isn't authorized to do that. You're not authorized to do that. None of us are. Um, And therefore, if you want to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ, we must conform ourselves to him as he presents himself in scripture, um, not the other way around. And it's always tempting to try to modify the message. And I'm sure Timothy was tempted. Um, Just kind of mute bits and and edit things out and, and so forth. But Paul says, no, that is not our path. And I think that's one of the reasons he says, uh, in verse 2, he says, Timothy, focus on the stuff that you heard me say to a lot of people. Which is, I think, part, part of the point there is that Paul doesn't want Timothy uh, coming up with a trendy new message. Paul does not want Timothy uh, uh, pulling out some secret insight that no one's ever heard. If you ever hear me or any other preacher getting up and saying, hey, I've got this insight that nobody's ever heard before, and it's brand new, and it's, man, it's going to change everything, be really suspicious of that. We describe Jesus well by focusing on the main and the plain message of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it means to turn and follow him. And that is the message that has offended every generation for 2,000 years and allured every generation for 2,000 years. And therefore, our job is to surrender to Jesus' message like an athlete surrenders to her sport. And that's the only way that we'll have a long-term impact. Soldiers, athletes, finally, farmers. Um, the image of the farmer tells us two things. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be fruitful. First of all, it's going to be hard work. You, I, 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 we're in Manhattan. We don't know anything about farmers. I am told that farmers, I, I know, like, like the you know, urban farming, but come on. Farmers work hard, and they work hard for a long time. That's part of what they do. Impatient farmers, it doesn't work. Patient farmers are successful. Don't be surprised, Emmanuel, when describing Jesus is hard work. Don't be impatient when the work seems slow. Work hard describing Jesus. Don't let laziness get in there. It's got no point, no no part in the Christian life. Keep describing the beauty of Jesus Christ because you will, very often, you will only see the fruit after a while but let me tell you when you do see the fruit it's great farmers i think get to enjoy the fruit of their labor first often ripened on the vine and it tastes great and jesus describers get to taste the special sweetness of the gospel's power in a way that non-jesus describers never do and here's why When you become a Christian, part of what it means to become a Christian is that you see Jesus' beauty and his grace for you, and it is precious and sweet. But then, when you get to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to someone who hasn't seen it yet, And they begin to see his beauty too. And then you begin to see lives transformed. Then the same grace that transformed you, you get to see transforming someone else and you find it kind of rebounds into your own heart and it renews you. You're strengthened again by the same grace that saved you in the first place. Jesus describers are renewed Christians. That's part of why Jesus wants us, every one of us, to be a Jesus describer. Because you get strengthened by the grace that is in Christ all over again. Go back to Timothy. What could possibly motivate Timothy in all of this? What could motivate Timothy to suffer? What could motivate Timothy to, uh, to act like an athlete and, and to work hard as a farmer? Do you think, Emmanuel, that it was just Timothy's willpower? Do you think he just gritted his teeth after he got this letter and he just said, I'm going to work hard? Hey, willpower is weak everybody finds that out after new year's eve right the new year's resolutions they don't work and if yours works wonderful um, but when you know what's not weak your willpower is weak mine is all of us are you know what's not weak Jesus' grace it's not weak and that's why verse one timothy has to be strengthened in the grace of jesus christ why would Timothy suffer willingly? Because he looked at his Lord hanging upon the cross, and he knew that Jesus, has suffered. Jesus suffered in order so that Timothy could be brought into an intimate, close, transformative relationship with God as his father. And when Timothy saw that, when Timothy saw Jesus give everything that Jesus is to Timothy, Timothy wanted, of course, to give everything that he is to Jesus Christ, and therefore he suffered willingly. Why does Timothy... Uh, uh, surrender to Jesus' message like an athlete surrenders to the sport. The reason is because he looked at Jesus Christ and he saw Jesus Christ not modifying the plan of the Father, but surrendering his life to the plan of the Father. And he surrendered his life to the will of the Father to the point of death. And Timothy knew that Jesus' death and resurrection had transformed his life, and therefore he willingly said, yes, I will surrender to the plan of Jesus Christ like an athlete surrenders to the sport. And why would Timothy work so hard? Because he was a workaholic? No, because underneath his work, underneath it he knew that Jesus had done the greater work, the deeper work and all the heavy lifting, and therefore there was an undercurrent of rest underneath all of Timothy's labor. He was again and again renewed and strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and that's why he could describe the beauty of Jesus Christ, and other people could hear him and listen to it and say, that guy knows what he's talking about. So Emmanuel, in 20 years, what's it going to be like? I have no idea, but we do know that if we commit ourselves to describing the beauty of Jesus Christ, because we are renewed day in and day out, moment by moment and breath by breath, by the grace and the beauty of Jesus Christ, then if we describe Jesus to each other, to the city and to the next generation, then in 20 years we will look back and we will not have wasted our time. But we will look and we will see sweet and precious fruit, the first fruits of the harvest of the kingdom of God. And we will spend all eternity enjoying that. Amen? Amen.